Bonjour, ici Jeffrey Coventry, le coordinateur offensif de les Saints d'Immaculata en Ottawa. Et vous écoutez à le 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Today, Dakota and I are joined by a special guest who has had his fingerprints all over uh, all over Canadian football, from the high school to the RSEQ to the CFL and all the way back, Mr. Jeff Coventry. Jeff, how are you doing today, man? Uh, good. Thanks, you guys, for uh, having me on and, you know, just allowing me to share my story with you guys. Um, I, I've been listening for a while now, uh, all summer, and since pretty much since COVID hit, and uh, it's been a nice filler for uh, a lack of Canadian content in terms of football. And I really appreciate what you guys do. Appreciate the support, man. Always good to hear that people are tuning in. Uh, so we talked about this a little bit before we just started recording, but you're uh, currently, you know, we'll get into the football and everything like that. But currently, at this stage of your life, you're teaching back in or you're teaching in Ottawa. And with, you know, August quickly coming to a close here, things are ramping up in the return to school. Um, what's going on with you on that end, my friend? Oh, man, uh, I'm excited, but a little nervous. Um, definitely uh, a lot of unknowns in terms of the, the high school scene. Um, as, I, as we were talking about before, I, I teach seven and eight. Uh, but school itself, Immaculata, is 7 to 12. So I see students from the ages of 12 all the way up to 18. And um, I, I coach in the senior ranks and then uh, teach in the, in the junior ranks. So it's, um, there's just a lot of uncertainties with, with the high school scene right now. Um, we all know sports are probably going to be at the la on the last uh, on the back burner. I guess is the best way to describe it. We're not really worried about that right now. Um, unfortunately, I really wish I could be coaching, but uh, right now it's really about the safety of the kids and making sure that the uh, we do our due diligence as teachers in the process uh, of getting the kids back into the building and uh, and safely in the building. Um, I. I I don't want to get too political about it. I'm just worried about the safety of kids and, and, uh, and my safety as well and our staff. It's just a, it's a tough look for everybody. 100%, you know, of course, uh, as we made mention of as well with, you know, you being so close to Quebec and them seemingly taking a different approach, obviously that adds a whole other element into the air. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe that'll just be a, a test case to see whether sports at the high school level will work. And then maybe if it's not in the fall, maybe come the winter at least. Obviously, football season will have passed by then, but maybe at least they'll give us some clearance that we can start bringing sports back uh, even in our province. Definitely curious to see how the RSEC runs their seasons this year. It's, uh, I mean, you got to remember that um, they're very streamlined. So the RSEQ not only runs uh, university football there, but they also have Sh uh, Champlain and Cégep. And um, they also have the high school ranks all the way down to Juvenile is what they call it. Um, so it's, um, it's interesting. Like they're, they're well organized, but um, they're in a different stream than we are. I think when we saw the Football Canada update on Twitter, they're up in phase five and we're somewhere down in phase three. So um, the return to contact isn't even in the front of our minds oh, right geez. now. We're just trying to get guys in the, on the field um, in a safe manner, whereas they're practicing with pads. I've, uh, I've spoken to some other coaches uh, from around Quebec um, and they're at practice. There's training camps right now for high school going on, and they're hopeful that they're going to play. I mean, I, I was getting all those memory photos on Facebook popping up of just all the years when I, I was at Guelph being, you know, all the different photos and whatever from first day at camp and stuff. And it's, I mean, it's sad thinking that, you know, for the guys returning or for the new crop of kids going into what would be their first year, that obviously that's not going on right now. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the circumstances are, are unheralded. So hopefully we'll get, we'll get uh, back to football soon. But let's get into your, your background a little bit. So from, from Orleans, go to Bishop's, little stint with the Alouettes as well. Do you want to just talk a little bit about your experience moving up through, uh, through Canadian football? Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely uh, born and raised in Ottawa. Um, I'm the, the son of two immigrant parents. Uh, my dad's from South Africa. Mom was born in Germany, but, but as a French Canadian, uh, they met in Ottawa and um, lived, stayed in Ottawa. And I, I, I got the chance to grow up there. Uh, was really privileged to kind of just fall into um, the area where my high school was. Uh, St. Peter's is a notorious Ottawa product of uh, university players. I definitely wasn't the first or the last to go play university football. 
Um, and I'll just give a shout out to Jim Mick, who was my head coach. Um, he's still there right now and I coach against him. Still haven't beat him yet, but we're working on it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, honestly, I'm, uh, I'm just, uh, really privileged to even have gone there. We got to go to Offsa in 2005, my grade 11 year. Um, got to go and play, uh, in the Nat Cat Bowl in, uh, in that year at, uh, Rogers Stadium. And that was a really cool moment in my life. We beat, uh, Sydenham by two scores. I think the final score was something like 28-14 or something. Uh, back when running offenses were all the rage and, you know, us receivers had to block. Um, so <laughs> it was one of those situations where Dark uh, times. you might get, you might get two catches a game and you're just, Hey man, just, just make sure you're on your block when this running back comes through the hole. Don't even, don't even look back, just block. Yeah. And we made our money that way. And, um, I got lucky though. They did, they did a lot of bootleg stuff in high school and that's kind of where I got, uh, a lot of my recruiting from grade 11 all the way to my, I did a super senior year victory lap, uh, in 2008. And, um, uh, the recruiting for me, uh, biggest thing was uh, was my, my super senior year. I have a late birthday in October, and I, I just didn't feel like I was ready. Um, I was a 17-year-old kid in 2007, and I was getting a couple sniffs, but I still hadn't filled out. I, I weighed a buck 65 at 6'2", and I felt like I needed some seasoning and um, just got to a point where um, I, I, I graduated on time in 2007 but made a decision that I wanted to go back and get that one extra year. And I'll be honest, it really helped because uh, I got myself into a position where I was not only uh, a little more mature body-wise, but school-wise, I maintained an 80 average and um, where I probably wasn't before and just like was, you know, somewhere in the 70s and maybe not getting into the schools that I wanted to. And that allowed me to, to, to get recruited. Um, last time I spoke to a coach back then, they had told me I was somewhere in a top 10 list of receivers in Ontario. So I, back then the scouting was not as conclusive as the CFC and all that stuff. So uh, pretty sought after. I was talked to by, I would say, most Ontario schools. Uh, a lot of Quebec. Laval showed me a little interest because I spoke French and then they kind of went away. Uh, and then definitely out East. Uh, I remember having conversations with Acadia uh, and X. And um, my, my, my final three were uh, actually Concordia, Bishops, and then Queens. And uh, I just, uh, I really liked the feel of, uh, of Bishops. Uh, at the time, they had Leroy Blue, if you guys are familiar with, uh, with Leroy as a coach. Um, he was one of the only blackhead coaches at the time, along with Gary Waterman. So that kind of res resonated for me uh, as, as someone who is uh, a person of color. And um, I kind of, you know, lived growing up playing basketball and, uh, and football with my dad, who's black as a head coach. And, you know, it was uh, one of those things that just like, I wanted to continue the trend. And I really liked what he was saying about the school. And I, when I visited the school, that was, I knew that was the spot for me. And the best part about that was um, they had a, at the time they had a CFL pedigree. They, they were pipelining these guys to the league. And it was just, it was one of those things where you look at that and you go, I want to be the next guy. I want to be the next guy up. And um, they were actually, winning games. I know you guys hear about bishops and uh, the tw after 2013, there was just kind of that lull of like, oh, and eight, oh, and eight, oh, and eight. But we had a time from about 2005 to that last year in 2013, where they were making playoffs and perennially competing in Quebec. Uh, and, and that was, it was an exciting time to go there. And uh, we were ranked nationally twice while I was there. Uh, we got as high as number four. Um, unfortunately, I never beat Laval in my career. We lost by a score to them in a crazy game in my last year. Uh, but I've beaten every single team in the RSEC except for them and uh, really had uh, an amazing time, an amazing five years at, at Bishops. Um, coolest part about Bishops uh, in terms of getting there was uh, just remembering, you know, at the beginning uh, – you, there was these guys like Sean Gore and Keith Godding, and you knew they were going to the league. Sean, Sean ended up getting uh, a sniff with the Packers. He was the last cut the year they won the Super Bowl. So uh, pretty, pretty crazy stat to think of, right? You know, it was between him and an American. And, you know, you got these guys showing up to camp, and you're just excited to, you know, feed off their energy and learn. And I feel like I did a ton of learning. My first two years didn't even dress. Um, I didn't get a sniff of, uh, of the roster until 2010. And my, uh, my biggest thing was kind of, uh, I worked hard. 
I wasn't uh, the freakiest of athletes. Uh, I definitely wasn't uh, jumping 40 inches or running a 4.3 at any point. Um, I think the, my best 40 time ever was uh, like a 4.57, um, which is respectable. But if you want to talk about pro numbers, that's slow um, for a receiver. And um, the best part about that was, that, you know, I just learned my playbook. Uh, I worked my ass off. I, I blocked. And um, I felt like I could contribute in those ways and let the other flashy guys do their thing. And it all culminated into that final year for us where we were nationally ranked. We had a chance to make a run and fortunately got cut short by Montreal. Uh, but there was a lot of individual accolades there. Guys like Jordan Heather, uh, who was the Heck Creighton, uh, Heck Creighton winner, and um, as well as Alexander Fox, who uh, broke a couple records in the RCQ for receiving, and Stephen Atakulu, who ended up uh, in the pros with the, uh, the BC Lions initially and then the Alouettes, and he just finished his career now. Um, and a guy like me, who, you know, got a stint uh, very briefly with Montreal Alouettes. Um, that was a pretty cool moment in my life. Um, how that happened was I was sitting in my basement and, uh, with my parents watching the World Juniors, and uh, got a phone call from Montreal on a, on a number that I didn't recognize. And um, it was uh, Abrams, the GM at the, uh, the assistant GM at the time. And he just said, we, we want to sign you, you know, we want, we want to give you a chance. And I said, oh, I mean, I'm not going to say no first team that calls. And um, my agent had other plans. He thought Ottawa was calling. It was their first year. And, you know, they said, oh, hold out, hold out. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to sign with the first team that takes me. Um, <laughs> don't, really, don't really have those options as a, as a rookie. So ended up there. Uh, ended up at camp with guys like Troy Smith and Chad Johnson and uh, D'Lo. And uh, that, it was really cool to learn with the, from those guys. Uh, ended up actually with a pretty cool friendship with with Troy and, and Chad briefly. Uh, we were Twitter buddies first, and you know they they came down to to Montreal. And Troy was always, already the starting quarterback after Anthony Calvillo. And uh, Chad Chad showed up and uh, didn't speak a lick of French, but I remember on the bus in our training camp, uh, our mini camp in Florida, he asked me uh, how I say I love you in French to uh, to the women in Quebec and uh, <laughs> told them je t'aime and he goes yeah I'm gonna start saying that and this became this <laughs> massive Twitter thing for a while. Um, I don't want to claim that I gave it to him, but just saying. Go ahead, claim uh, it, man. That's yeah, dope. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of a love affair there with him. Um, cool thing about him is, you know, people see the persona about Chad and, and stuff like that, and they, they know the Ocho Cinco vibes, right? But he's he's a different cat uh, in the dressing room. You know, he's a nice guy, and, he, you know, if you ask him something and you want to learn, he'll do it. And Troy's the same. They were you know, committed pros and yeah, they want their reps and they're competitive, but uh, they're there to teach and they're there to make sure you're getting your reps and your, your numbers up and stuff like that. And that was cool. Um, unfortunately for me, it didn't really last the summer, did the whole preseason thing, uh, got injured, asked for my release. Um, I had um, what I would come to realize was uh, I needed surgery at a double sports hernia. I didn't know it for a few years, but um, yeah, that's uh, when the two anterior uh, muscles in your, um, in your pelvis basically tear off your pelvic floor, your pelvic floor. Oof. And that kind of, yeah, spelled the, spelled my career for me basically. And um, it was time to, for me, I, I made a decision. I, I had applied to teachers college uh, during that time at Ottawa U and I got in and, you know, my agent was trying to work some things and trying to get me signed by a West team like Saskatchewan or whatever. And I told him, honestly, man, um, as much as I love football, I feel like, you know, this is, it's life is telling me to move on at this point. And that's, that's where we came to, you know, I, I ended up at Ottawa U and I actually was on their roster briefly uh, for the GGs. I was practicing with them. I was on their scout team while I was trying to get healthy. Uh, it was one of Barassi's first years there. Um, however, I, I couldn't get my eligibility cleared up. Um, that's another story with Teachers College not being considered a, uh, uh, how, how do they call it? They consider it a professional degree. They don't call oh, it a Not master's. like a graduate? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not a graduate program. Mm. So uh, I got a bone to pick with the, with the OUA about uh, not just myself, but, uh, you know, other people who got shafted by that rule. You know, and talking about that, you know, I feel for those guys this year, you know, like that almost lost that year of eligibility. 
because I had that one year and I wanted to play it out, you know, to see if I could get back on the field and play with the GGs. And maybe, you know, if teaching, I get my degree and whatever and move on, maybe perhaps, you know, jumping back into a CFL opportunity if that's the case. But, you know, things happen the way they do and eligibility didn't get cleared up. And so I, I just decided to hang up the boots and that ended up being the best decision for me at that time. So, you know, a lot there in, in that story, and I want to jump into a few of the things you talked about, but sort of on that note there, did, the, did you get a specific reason why the, the, the notion of teacher's college being a professional degree makes it, it makes you un, ineligible to play versus if you were doing like a master's of science or anything like that? Did you get a, did you ever get clear, like any clearance on that? Um, what I was told by um, the lady who does uh, the, the cases for eligibility at UOttawa was that they had tried before uh, with other students on uh, women's soccer and other, other various sports to use the argument that it was, in fact, a postgraduate degree. Um, and it wasn't uh, one of those situations where, uh, you know, you're just coming back to play more football. But the, my understanding from what she's explained is, uh, because it doesn't fall into the realm of master's, they really have to, you know, call it that. Um, a master's degree is what they were looking for. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't apply uh, in their ruling. And the way they look at it is um, in the past, before all these rules changed, they had allowed uh, a lot of people to go to teacher's college. Uh, this would have been like 80s and 90s and whatnot before all the, all the eligibility stuff changed up. And they had allowed these people to go to teacher's college. And um, essentially what they uh, said was, you know, a guy who was in his fourth year finishing his, uh, his undergrad would just switch teams and get a one-year stint uh, on a fifth year. And they didn't like people transferring like that. Um, I, for, on a personal note, I, I understand the decision. Uh, I do feel like my intentions were a little more noble than that. And I felt like I had a case. But because they had seen this before they had decided that, you know, this, this was the ruling all along and we're going to stick with that ruling. Now, does it bug you at all to know that like, that's just an OUA thing? That's not like you, in the AUS. I know multiple people that went and switched and did teachers college and played ball. So I feel like that's just an OUA rule right now. Um, I mean, it's hard to look back in anger because, you know, I'm loving my teaching career. Um, at the time, as a 24-year-old, as a you know, I, I definitely was a little hurt, you know, that I couldn't play football and get healthy and, and whatnot. Um, but I like to think of it from, from a positive perspective and thinking things happen for a reason. I think if I wasn't told no, I would have tried to go back to football and I probably wouldn't be teaching and loving my career right now. It's just, it's a different, it's a different time in your life, you know, like, um, I, I do think, I really do think that they should hear kids and students, you know, really hear students and student athletes when they go for these, uh, these hearings about what their intentions are when they, when they go to switch schools or transfer, right? I do, I do think that there's, you know, certain cases that deserve to be heard. And I, I felt like I was one of them, um, but I have to respect the decision in the end. Well, and I, I totally agree. And I, I still, despite everything you said there about what they told you, I still find it a little odd, but uh, you know, you mentioned hearing out the students that obviously brings to mind what right now, uh, Garrett Holmes, uh, Western university football player is doing with the, the, uh, the founding of the Canadian student athlete association, the CSA. Have you, have you, you caught wind of that? No, I haven't actually. Uh, this sounds like a good initiative, though. Tell me more about it. Yeah, uh, well, you know, you'll be able to listen to, uh, about it soon because we just did an interview with them about a week ago, so that'll oh, come okay. out soon. But you know, the big initiative they wanted to first push. Well, I guess the gist of it is to create a, an organizing body for student athletes in Canada to be able to have a little more, you know, uh, of a, a little more oomph to their whatever it is they're trying to fight for. So it's not just you on an island speaking up for yourself, but it's this whole body of students organized together to be able to do it. So it really came as a result of the initial decision to not let the, the would-be senior players, or I guess not necessarily senior players, but the players who might 
uh, lose eligibility due to aging out, allowing them to be able to come back for a final year. And uh, it definitely seems like that. Well, I, I, I'd like to think that probably played a big role in in getting them to overturn that. So, you know, un- unfortunate that that uh, some kind of a structure like that wasn't around when you were, uh, you know, making your case as well. But, you know, I- I'm very happy that now there there is that type of a, uh, a governing body around. Yeah, I like I like that idea for sure. Um, definitely, you know, in the in the 2000s and perhaps uh, early 2010s, definitely more of a coaches league in that sense where, you know, players were, were not an afterthought, but you know, it's, it's the coach that has the final say. And um, you know, you respect your coach and I love that. And I think you should, uh, but I definitely do think that student athletes do deserve a voice. Um, as you were saying uh, that's that initiative where, you know, that, that 24 year old um, who turns 25 gets, gets his year back. You know, I, I think that's, that's a great idea. Um, we had a guy actually, uh, I think in 2013, our, our, our punter kicker, he came back as a, as a 25 year old because they justified his eligibility in the RSEC. Um, and so, yeah, I think with more cases like that, you know, if, if the cause is truly there and um, if the reasons are right, I, I think that that kind of uh, initiative run by student athletes to give them more oomph is, is very important because it does give them a platform to stand on and uh, they can go through that, that governing body uh, to get their rights and their, and their, uh, and there's and then themselves heard basically uh, I know it definitely applied to me for sure with that uh, teacher's college incident I was as like I said a 24 year old and um, at that point I because I wasn't able to to play that year but I technically would have been able to uh, try and come back the year after on a master's um, it, it kind of put me in this weird gray area of nothing and so essentially um, I ended up with nothing, you know, my 25th birthday went by, I was, I was teaching and there went my eligibility clock. You just kind of go, Oh, okay. Uh, It is what it is. Yeah. So bringing it back to your playing career, you know, you mentioned in in your story, the taking the extra year in high school, getting your body right, getting more of those offers from the schools. And then as well, kind of having to wait in the wings for your first year or two, once you got into bishops, I feel like today, I'm sure maybe everyone says this what you know for their generation but it feels like we definitely live in a generation of instant gratification of people wanting to get on the field people wanting to be the star get the get the shine right away and of course who doesn't right you know it, you want to you, you want to be the hero you want to be able to do that but can you talk about the importance and you know you're talking to two guys as well who who definitely had to work their way through the uh, the systems they played in as well but for yourself the importance of being able to really take your time making the right decision for yourself and be able to be on a scout team and be able to get the reps in, in practice until you get your chance to shine. And then when you do then uh, really, uh, you know, taking advantage of the opportunity. Uh, that's a, a great question. Um, it's quite loaded actually, because as you guys said, um, there's so much, there's so much to that. And what I mean by that is uh, you, you said special teams, you said, you know, grinding it out, you said being patient and those are such, key words for that and uh guys like yourself and even myself you know I ended up uh an SCQ all-star but it didn't start that way like I was fourth on the depth chart when I got it to when I got to bishops and I stayed fourth on the depth chart for two years uh, two uh, we went through two offensive coordinators who kind of just you know if you're not the guy that they recruited uh they don't look at you you know like they have their guys and they're trying to plug them right away and I was also in 2009 and, and 2010, part of those years where they loved uh, to do the old plug and play. You know, uh, you get these CJFL guys who are older or before the rules changed in terms of the age, you get like a 26 year old who can come in and play for one year. And so you are, as an 18 year old, sitting there. I remember my first rep in camp. Uh, we had a night practice. So one, it was, uh, we were running scout team. And um, I was supposed to run a go and I, and I'd line up against this guy who's 27 years old and, ha- and has a kid and he's our starting DB. And I'm an 18 year old who again, weighs maybe no more than a buck <laughs> 70. Uh, and I'm the ex receiver on the outside, you know, told to run a fly on this guy who's clearly just going to put me out of bounds. Uh, <laughs> so there's, there's a lot to that. And um, I, I think, I think, that the 25 year old rule is the right rule currently. 
I think that's a good thing. Um, but I, it definitely goes to show you that, you know, you need some time to mature. Your body needs that maturation process. And I, again, I was ready for recruiting as an 18 year old in high school, but I wasn't ready for university football as an 18 year old in first year university. I, again, I came in with this attitude where I was good in high school. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to be good in college. I'm going to be good in university, whatever. And then you get there and hey, say it, boys. Everyone's good. Everyone's good at football when you get to university. You know, it's, it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, you're the best, you're the big fish, small pond, right? You know, like you're the best there, but then you get into a pond of where everyone's the best, you know? So you have, you have to stand out by doing certain things. And I, I, I had to grind it out. I had to grind it out. Like you said, I, I spent two years on, on scout team, uh, some good stuff, some bad stuff. And then my first year playing in 2010, um, I didn't even start. I was, I was the last guy on the bubble for a receiver as a dresser. Um, I dressed my first game, the first game of the year. Concordia came to us, and I was the backup, actually. I got in for two plays. I ran a blocking – I blocked, and then I ran a go, and then I was off the field. Um, and from then on, uh, I, the guy ahead of me actually had a bad game that game, and yeah, I kept grinding and put my nose down. And um, shout-out to Benoit Groove, who was our offensive coordinator at the time, uh, ex-Laval QB, if you guys know who that is. Uh, real good guy, uh, but just – a really good savvy mind. He, and, uh, he, he trusted me. He, he gave me, you know, the opportunity to show what I could do. He told me straight up in meetings. He's like, you're starting at X next week, right in front of everybody. And sure enough, next game we play McGill and I go for a hundred yards and, uh, making a couple important catches, uh, in overtime to, to beat them. So it was one of those things where, uh, I, I don't want to say, you know, don't go to practice and, you know, like, uh, whatever. And, uh, don't practice hard, but you know, uh, I, I felt like I was a gamer and I was practicing hard, but I needed that opportunity in games to really, you know, show that I could play at that level. Um, I needed that, that, uh, that game speed and that game mental preparation to kind of, you know, show that I'm here to stay and, uh, I deserve to be here. And, um, Again, lucky enough to dress the rest of my four years of eligibility up until 2013. Um, and uh, I only missed one game. I, I got uh, Arno Gascon-Adon uh, decided to throw one of my slot backs into my ankle and ruined Oof. my ankle. So I missed, I missed the next game against McGill in, in 2012. And, uh, but I, I missed that one game, and that was it. Um, and then if you want to talk specials uh, – uh, the reason I stayed on that roster was because the first two years, 2010, no, but 2011 and 2012, um, I was on kickoff. I was on kickoff return. I was in, in field goal. You know, like these were positions that you had to hold down if, uh, if you were looking to keep a job. And I, if I could tell anything to young guys listening, it's um, coaches in university are recruiting to – you know, replace you. They're, they're recruiting to, to get rid of, not because they don't like you. That's just the nature of the beast. There's always a guy they've brought in that they think can be the next you or the better you, you know? So they, they see this guy and, you know, uh, again, I, it's funny enough, my backup ended up being one of my best friends, but he was gunning for me. Like he was, he was going to take my job. And I had to, uh, I had to go every day and, and go to work and make sure that my buddy wasn't taking my reps, you know? And uh, I was lucky enough to, to, you know, maintain a friendship with him and stuff, but off the field, but competitively on the field, there's, you have to have that mentality that, you know, you, you should be there and you need that, those special teams reps. You need those first team reps and you make the catches in practice and in games when it comes down to it. Now you talk about that sort of message to younger players uh, as someone who is coaching in Dakota. I'm curious your take on this as well for someone who's coached quite a bit is, 
is that a hard message to to get to stick with the young kids? Like as much as, you know, we, we've talked about all these different things you tell the young guys and then much like for ourselves when we were in high school or playing summer ball, you say, yeah, 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 but you don't really do it. For that particular message about really, you know, committing to, you know, whether it's saying scout team's not a bad thing or get on every specials you can, are those messages do you find hard to make stick for a, a young kid that you're coaching in, say, high school? Um, yeah, I mean, it's instant gratification wise, like you said, we're in a generation of definitely, uh, I I want it now. It's, it's funny to see that, uh, the gratification thing become very instantaneous. Whereas, um, guys like us, you know, who toiled for two years might've been okay with that. I knew multiple guys who were okay with sitting around for a few years and waiting their turn, you know? I was, I was one of those guys and some, like a guy like Dakota and whatever, you know, like, uh, I listened to your podcast and in your intro, you mentioned, you know, we want to hear from guys that, you know, perhaps, uh, played two or three games a year, you know, we're on the, on the bubble, we're dressing on specials only. And, um, I can resonate with that in the first couple years of my, my university career. You know, I was, I was not a guaranteed option. I was all over the place. I was on fourth team then I was on second team and then I was, having to play specials to keep my job, you know, and that's um, having to tell a high school kid that right now is definitely kind of hard because a lot of them just want to be the best DB in Canada or the best receiver in Canada. And what they don't realize is if you want to do the Canadian route, um, you got to play specials as a premium, you know, that's got to be your, your plus, you know, it's, it's yeah, he's a great receiver and yeah, he's a great defensive lineman or a linebacker and he plays special teams. Uh, the American route, I mean, you'll, you'll toil on special teams maybe your first two years, but then they use you as a receiver, you know, year three and four and that's it. Whereas I know guys on my team at Bishops all the way up to 2013, they were a starter and they still played specials. I got my team captain basically never coming off the field guy who played defensive end, Steve McCollum, that dude played every special team and was the starting DN. Oh, yeah. So it's just, I think it's – yeah. Yeah, go for it. Sorry. Well, I was, I was disagreeing with you. I mean, it, it might be more so for Toronto because our high school teams aren't that big. But I think when I played, I only was off for punt return. I would line up a receiver, and then when we went three and out or whatever because we're bad <laughs> i would just turn around and be corner and then when they scored on us i would go and i'd kick return like it's it's it is tough though to get kids to take specials seriously but every once in a while you're blessed with a kid who you know may not get to be that starting linebacker but takes that kickoff as seriously as anyone else and comes off the field extremely hyped just to make those tackles for sure the one thing i try to tell my kids is to embrace your role on the team not everybody is going to be the starting quarterback or the starting receiver. But if I ask you to come down on kickoff and make a tackle, I need you to do that, whether you're the first-team linebacker or the, or the third-team linebacker. I, if you fill, fill a gap and you fill a role, that's, that's definitely it. Um, I know personally for me in high school, like you said, uh, you were, you were, you know, your teams were bad and whatnot. Um, uh, it's, it's unfortunate for me because uh, I didn't really play specials in high school. I returned kicks because I was faster than most and then I punted, but we had like 60 guys on the roster. So uh, we had a kicker, we had backups who, you know, embraced their role and then even starters that wanted to play specials. They were a hard nosed bunch. And um, the big thing I, I remember from those teams is what I try to implement on my teams is, is, is the idea that everyone sells out for each other. It doesn't matter who you are. Right. I think the reason we got to OFSA as a high school team wasn't because we were super talented. Like we had some talent in the building for sure. And we were big boys, but the one thing I remember for that team is um, you guys know the movie Friday night lights, right? State, oh, yeah. <laughs> state, right. You know, every, they used to say state and um, that's, that came out around that time in 05. And I remember our running back, who was our captain, he said, you know, everybody's going to sell out this year for each other, and, and we would call it state. We're going to state, right? And yeah, we know it's the OFSA championship, <laughs> but we were, we were that determined to go to, to OFSA that nobody on that team was going to take a rep off, and they didn't, you know? 
that's kind of where I, where I resonate with that mentality. I just don't understand guys taking plays off. I just don't understand guys that, Oh, I'll, I'll do it in a game, you know, like, uh, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take this rep off in a game and then I'll, I'll do it on the next one. I just, I can't resonate with that. So I try to give that to my kids. No, I, I think that's a great attitude to have. I mean, you're definitely luckier than, than I was. I think my high school team had 25 kids on the roster, uh, on a varsity roster. Um, so we, we didn't have a, a lot of, we couldn't even take plays off. Literally we couldn't sit on the bench. Um, just speaking on, since you're coaching, I'm a coach, um, Zach, hopefully you can come join my, my roster of coaching soon. But, um, how do you feel that the, the subject has changed? Cause I feel like when I was going to university and Zach and, and even you probably, it was like, I'm going to go to play ball and I'll figure out my degree while I'm there. Like it doesn't really matter. And nowadays I feel like people are saying, okay, you know, we've heard 40 year plan instead of four year plan, or what are you going to school for? Like use, use football. Don't let football use you. Uh, like, how are you talking to your kids when they're hitting into those those upper years of selecting a school? Are you just saying, you know, oh, you want to go play ball at so-and-so? Go play ball there. Are you talking about school first with them? Um, at the end of the day, I let my kids make their choices. I I don't like to tell them where to go and, and what to do with their, with their recruiting. I just um, – I definitely sit down with them and I – when recruiters come through and, and the coaches come through and they, and they bring their uh, – their pamphlets and uh, their their perspectives uh, for football, and they give a, a presentation. You know, I I do definitely sit down with the with them after, and I go, well, what did you think of that? You know, like what what were your pros and cons from that? And you know, do you see yourself there? And some kids, it's an automatic no. You know, like I just don't want to be there. And maybe it's because they don't like the school, or maybe it's just because they just genuinely don't see themselves there. Um, but I think I agree with the idea of the. Uh, the four-year, pl- uh, the forty-year plan over the four-year plan. Um, I definitely went to school um, with the forty-year plan in mind. To be honest, um, I didn't. My, both my parents are teachers, and they kind of set me straight and were like, "Look, football is a great plan A, but what happens when that ends? You know, what what do you do when that ends?" And they always told me, you know, at the end of the day, football is is finite, but you know, that career and that piece of paper that you have uh, will allow you to open some doors that football will never open. And that's, you know, teacher's college to me and, and, and a history degree. Um, I'm super proud of that stuff just as much as I am having played RSCQ football, you know, or youth sports football. There's uh, that, those, those pieces of paper do mean a lot to me uh, because I can kind of, you know, uh, not only tell my kids when they're getting recruited, like, look, like, not only did I play high level football, but I, I got an education and look where it can get you. You know, if you want to be a teacher like me, this is the route. If you want to go into business or if you want to go do other things, uh, be a doctor. And I had a kid this year who wants to be a doctor, you know, and he was being recruited heavily by a lot of schools. And, uh, you know, he was, he was dead set on, you know, being, um, you know, like a, 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 like a neurosurgeon, I think is what it was, is what he was saying in grade 12, you know, like, and so you gotta, I, I will never tell him what school to go do that at, but I will make sure he knows which schools are the better ones to think about, you know? And, um, I, I do think that, um, no matter where you go, you're going to get an education. I don't think it matters what school you go to, but, I do think you should think about which schools set you up best later on in your life. And that's the way I looked at bishops. I realized that they had quite the network, um, regardless of me taking a general degree. Uh, it's a history degree, but it was, you know, general arts as they call it and whatnot. Um, so it, I felt like that, that networking system at bishops was one of those situations where uh, if I needed somebody or, you know, needed help, you know, uh, they could, they could find me something. And to be honest, it's, it's proven true. Uh, I've met so many teachers that have gone to bishops or even went to teachers college at bishops, which I didn't, which is funny, but uh, you know, they look back and they go, Oh, you went to BU. Like, let me help you out or let me get you in contact with this person or that person. And it's it, it, it like they, like you said before, it's that 40 year plan. You got people helping you out for the next 40 years of your life because you made that choice. So you definitely have to take that into consideration. 
Yeah, no, 100%, I think, and, and the kids you coach are obviously, I don't want to say, I hate to say lucky because it's not luck, but I mean, I feel like that you you were lucky in the sense that your parents kind of were able to sit you down and say, look, this this game that you love is going to end, and, and you had, you know, the forethought to think about going to a school that is going to have, you know, the networking, because networking is unfortunately, but also fortunately, very, very important in today's world. Uh, it's not, you know, what you know, it's more who you know. Um, but could you touch on, and this isn't, you know, we're not going to go OUA, just maybe U sports in general. Is there anything that the teams can do or the programs can do for, you know, football players or for athletes to help them transition from the rigorous schedule of, you know, your 12 of your 24 hours are planned out for you, your meals are planned out for you. And then suddenly, you know, the last whistle goes and they're not thrown away, but I mean, some players are just kind of like, Oh, you know, it was a pleasure coaching you Bye forever. Never see you again, figure out your own life. Is there some like, like a, the, the AD or the, the coaches or even the school itself can help transition these kids into quote unquote real world. For me, the biggest thing is um, I guess, again, I'm lucky with, with bishops where we have on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever we have um, the pages for chapters for BU networking. So I'm not sure how it works at other schools and I'm sure there's similar things Um, because it's a small school and because I was able to kind of, you know, make my way as a student athlete, um, we're able to kind of, if you throw a message in that chat or whatever, they'll get back to you. Um, There's a a senior higher up or whatever in in your chapter in Ottawa or Toronto or Montreal, that'll be like, Hey Jeff, like I, I, I think you need, this this or i can get you in contact with certain person depending on what field i'm in and whatever work i'm in so to me it's telling a school that they have to you know change the way that they network is is not the right thing to do but um it's definitely uh you i would say schools still have to be very accountable to their student athletes as to you know setting them up with something in the long run like you said you know the final whistle goes and um it's it's over for you you know and i remember this very clearly on a personal level uh last game happened um you know and you kind of have that that oh moment where you're like that's it you know like i mean lucky enough it wasn't it for a little bit because of montreal but after montreal then it was really it you know you kind of sit there and you go well who am i now what's my identity who do i identify with you know i'm not a football player anymore I, I have to be something else. And I think schools don't realize, or maybe they, maybe they do. I don't want to throw in any schools under the bus, but me- the mental health aspect of that is huge. Um, for me personally, I know I went through a bit of an identity crisis, you know, after, after football finished. Um, I was no longer the pro athlete, you know, I, Oh, I'm a pro athlete. You know, you, you, you introduce yourself to people. Oh, I play football. Who do you play for? Montreal Alouettes, you know, or bishops. Um, and now I was, Oh, I'm a former pro athlete, you know, trying to cling to that. And I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, I, I, I cling, I cling to that title as a football player because that's who I was for 10 years. I, I was that guy, you know, I, I worked my ass off. So yeah, damn right. I was going to say I'm a football player. And I was proud of it. And that just wasn't the reality I was living in. So when I got to teacher's college, I, uh, I don't want to say I didn't want to be there, but I was happy to get my degree and get out because I wasn't happy with who I was, you know? Um, and that's just on a serious note. Like I, I love what I do now and like, I'm really happy now. And then I've realized you know, a lot of things have changed, uh, but you go through, and that's for any student athlete where their sport finishes after university, you go through that identity crisis where you just don't know who you are anymore. You, you don't know where you fit in because you're no longer the athlete. You're no longer, like you said, getting structured workouts, meals, all of these things, practice. I knew what time I had to be somewhere all the time. Now, all of a sudden, I had this free time. What do I do with myself? I'd finish a class at U Ottawa, and I'd be like, do I go work out? Do I go home? What do I do, you know? And uh, lucky enough, I was, I was rehabbing for football uh, with the GGs. But when that ended, it was like, and I made the decision to just end it 
completely. It, it was really like, wow, it's it's over. You know, like it's over. I'm I'm not a football guy anymore. And then it kind of spilled into my teaching my first two years because I'd start to introduce myself to people as, oh, uh, I'm Jeff Coventry. Um, but uh, they're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm just, oh, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a teacher. And that was the wrong thing to say. I'm not just a teacher. I'm and I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm proud of it. I am who I am, and I teach grade seven, and I, I I shape young minds, and I'm hoping to positively impact these people in the long run because they're the future. Gen Z right now, you know, these guys they don't realize they there's going to be some big changes in the world in the, in the next twenty years, thirty years, and they have to be at the forefront of that. And I want to be part of the shaping that in in a positive way. So I think uh, going full circle into that. Um, I do think that universities, um, you know, need to take into account how they can help network, uh, a former student athlete or keep in touch with them or in, at the very least help give them maybe a few numbers or a few places to call that will offer them employment. No, I, I, I think you touched on a lot of great things there and, I like to ask that question because really it's the whole point of why, you know, Zach and I want to do this is, you know, the mental health aspect. I, a lot of the guys we've talked to, it's, you know, I mean, Zach and I had the opposite physical aspect where, you know, he stopped being an O lineman, he got in great shape and I stopped being a receiver, but I kept eating 8,000 calories a day. And I was like, I don't need to go to the gym. I don't, I don't have to run these routes anymore. So I gained all this weight, but like for me personally, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it later on in a different episode, but it wasn't even like that last whistle. It was probably three or four weeks after that where it finally kind of hit in. You know, I, I thought I was going to go play in Europe and then I realized I'm like, it's just not worth my time. And then that whenever it sets in, whether it's after the first whistle or three weeks or a year later, when you realize you're never going to put the pads back on, I can almost guarantee that every football player is like, what, who, who am I? Cause you know, my sister introduces me to all of her friends. I was like, Oh, my brother plays football, but like, I don't, I haven't, I haven't played football in, four years now and you know it's, it's still it's hard to like to realize you're never going to play it's definitely hard to for it to settle in on your on your own and I think we were talking with a couple of golf coaches and they say that you know they do have counselors for all their athletes which I think is a great start and I think they should recommend like don't even go there when you're having these crises in your life go like get prepped you know you should treat therapy as the gym or as training like you're strengthening your mental side um, but I just, I always like asking, you know, seeing where is every player is different. Every experience is different seeing, you know, what they recommend, but I think there's definitely a lot more. And I think it's, it's great that you were able to, you know, you're, you're back and you're teaching your, like you're saying you're shaping young minds. I think that's super important because hopefully the next generation to keep getting better and better after that. Yeah. And like you said, you guys touched on it on the earlier, uh, in the intro, uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, the mental health game and stuff like that and um it, it definitely resonated with me for sure because um you know I, I was i was that guy um and i you know shout out to guelph and you know for all that they're doing with the mental health with their student athletes um i do think it still becomes super important after you're a student athlete um if anybody ever you know feels like they're not okay after after football um I, I, that I would really recommend that they go see seek help um, uh, or any student athlete that feels that way, uh, not just during their their football career, but but after. Um, it's it's always okay to you know go talk to somebody and whatnot and and get your thoughts out of your mind. I know uh, I did it personally and uh, it really helped unclutter a lot of things and you know give me some clarity as to where I was headed in my life and whatnot. No, I. I 100% agree. I think it's it's unfortunate that there's just the the stigma of talking to someone, you know, is seems as as weak or whatever, which is just absolutely ridiculous, you know. Again, like referring back to the thing I was talking about, I mean, I wouldn't go to a non-professional to train me to get me ready for my combine. So like what's wrong with I'm going to, if I'm going to a professional trainer to get me stronger, what's wrong with going to a professional therapist, you know, to to get me set? Absolutely. And uh yeah, you're you know, it's it's one of those situations where um it, it you've gotta you've gotta catch it early before it comes too late and i i 
I, I know people are, you know, like you said, there's a stigma around it and they're ashamed to go seek it again. Same thing. Didn't initially go do it. Um, but I, I got, I can't stress enough that it's so important to, to go and, you know, get those thoughts out of your head. Um, and just, you know, have a lot of clarity as to where football takes you later on in life. Um, because there's so many beautiful things after, after football. Um, uh, I wish, you know, people would realize that as they're going through it, but, um, it's, you know, hindsight is 2020 and, uh, it's one of those situations where you kind of got to go through it to grow through it. Right. And as cliche as that sounds, um, if that takes a therapist or a psychologist or, or whoever you choose to, to, to divulge that information to, um, I would, I would a hundred percent recommend it because you, you, as I said before, football is finite. You're never, you're never the football player. Any, uh, at the end, you know, I, and I, I am, I can proudly say I, I'm, I'm no longer a football player and I, I I'm a teacher. Well, and, and, and that's awesome that you talk about the struggling with trying to find your identity post football and that you've found peace with that and that you're, you're, you're prospering in the position you're in. And that, that's awesome. And, you know, we can, we can only hope that everyone can get to that point. And the part about that identity, I think is so big, not just from a football standpoint, but also, you know, I, I miss being in school when, you know, you, you see a, a relative you haven't seen in a while and they say, oh, well, what are you up to? And you can just be like, well, I'm in school. You know, it's kind of no questions asked. It's just that kind of school, me, done, right? So uh, it's it's definitely nice to be able to have those. But when you want to peel some of the layers back and say, no, who, like, what's going on with you? Like, what what kind of makes you tick a little bit? That's where you get into that dark area. You have to start doing some digging and figuring out who you are. And of course, seeking help is, is totally cool and being able to come to those answers. Uh, you know, last thing I want to uh, touch on, since we have you here, kind of going a bit uh, off of the conversation a little bit, but with you having such a uh, uh, deep experience playing football in Ontario, but as well in Quebec, and we talked about with Quebec seeming to just, that they're going to be pushing forward with football come the fall. I, you know, it's always been very interesting seeing the difference in culture football in terms of football in Quebec and Ontario. I was lucky enough to play an exhibition game against Montreal in my going into my second last year at Guelph. And, you know, it was an exhibition game and they packed the stands. Right. And, you know, you see it in the, the conference games and the championships or anytime it's Montreal Laval. It's a massive event. And, you know, they're. Oh, yeah. You know, we have the Panda, which, you know, obviously close to home for you there. And the, the Yates Cup, depending on who the matchup is, you know, you'll sometimes get a good crowd. And Dakota loves to talk about the blackout game at Western, which I was lucky enough to go to this year. But realistically, it's it still doesn't compare to Quebec. Can you talk a little about the, the, the compare and contrast the culture of football in Quebec and Ontario? Simple answer is economics. Um, mm. <laughs> Politics-wise, they put money into the RSEC. It comes right from government. Um, as I said, the RSEC is an all-encompassing body of sport. It not only takes care of their, uh, their clubs, but it takes care of their high school, and they streamline everything. Um, not only that, but Quebec is willing to put money into coaching, good coaching, quality coaching. Okay? Uh, and I'm talking from the high school level up. You got these guys who are in uh, – as they call it, grade 11 for us, uh, getting coached by their former Laval or former Montreal Alouettes that have come back and are dedicated head coaches. They're paid to be there. It may not be a ton, but there's a step in, you know? So it's the idea that um, they're using sport to give you an a chance at an education, to further an education. Um, I would argue that honestly, Quebec has probably the best sporting culture in Canada. And I know that's a hot take, but, um, they, they just pump money into it. Look at the, uh, off football, look at the last Olympics, the winter Olympics. Most of our medals come from people from Quebec. And the reality is skiing and snowboarding and other things like that. You know, they're, they're putting money into that stuff. The resources are there. Uh, yes, they lack in other things and whatever, and we're not going to get into those details. But um, when it comes to pure sport, they're willing to put the money and the resources into it, and they want to. And not only that, but the average sporting fan and football fan there is so well-educated, so educated. 
I have conversations with super fans and guys, uh, you guys know Der Fan on Twitter. That's a shout out to them. Uh, they're uh, the Montreal super fan group. I've met them from my time playing and on. And they, they know so much about the game. And they know so much about not only what's going on in f- football in Quebec from the top down. They're il- able to tell you and talk to you not only about, you know, what the team's doing running plays, but they're able to tell you, oh, yeah, well, this team just got this recruit at uh, AAA Sejap or AA Sejap, you know? So it's, it, it's not one of those situations where you're, you're talking to a guy who's like, oh, yeah, well, uh, I like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And it's like, okay, what do you like about them? Well, they're green, and that's it. You know, like green's my favorite color. No, like there's, <laughs> there's an in-depth conversation. And that's not to say that every other, country, or every other province in the country doesn't know football. But they're so passionate about it. They put, they put their heart and their soul into football. And that was so cool for me as a student athlete. You talked about, you know, going to an exhibition game at Laval. Um, Montreal, was, Montreal. Or sorry, Montreal, yeah. Um, so Montreal, yeah, man, that's, that's one of the hardest places to play. I'm not even kidding. You can't even hear yourself think, man. Well, the way they like just built the concourse yeah. where the fans sit, you can tell they put in a little thought into the actual, you know, the 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 acoustics. It, it looks like this domed uh, structure yeah. to amplify the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to stir it up, but there's some rumors that they also used to pump sound into the stadium to keep <laughs> it loud. And you know what? Kudos to them if they did it low key, because honestly you can't hear yourself think there's only 5,000 fans there, but they sell it out and you, you get on the field and they're over top of you on the, on the bench there. They can talk to you and they're like talking smack to you the whole time in French, which is great. <laughs> if you're a Francophone and you understand it, you're like, Oh shit, we're getting, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool atmosphere. And um, they, they put pageantry into it too. I don't know if you saw them come out of the tunnel and stuff like that. Um, they, they have the cheerleaders, they have the band. It's like, it's like being at a college game, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's just in Canada. And then, you know, going from that to Laval, um, just on a personal level, again, one of the coolest moments of my life was my first year. Um, Benoit Gru was our offensive coordinator. He was just fresh off of graduating Laval two years ago. And um, we were nationally ranked, I think, fifth at the time, going into their house, number one. So this was the first time that BG was, was coming home. And they decided that we were their homecoming game. I don't know if you guys know how much uh, their capacity is at their stadium. What is it? But there was not an empty seat in the house. <laughs> We walked into that place and they make you do the long run around. They don't, you don't come out where Laval comes out. Laval comes out where the dressing rooms are. You have to go walk around the stadium and it's a long walk. And then you get to that side and as soon as you show up, all you hear is boo. And I'm not like talking like one boo, 15,000 boos. I've never never been booed like that in my life that was that was bone chilling like you know you want to be you obviously want 15,000 cheering for you but that that experience walking up to that concourse and running onto the field with 15,000 people just like screaming at you you're just like damn like that's that that was an experience i'll never forget whether we lost by i think we lost by 40 but like um, they they shellacked us that game but uh it, it's i it's one of those situations where i quebec just they do football right man they and and the the pageantry of laval too is second to none i even as a fan i've gone back um I've gone back to visit friends who are from Laval and whatnot and watched a game at Laval. I watched, uh, I watched the, uh, the U sports semifinal one year where they played Laurier and um, uh, I think Neville was the quarterback. Yeah. For, 2016. For right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, watched that from, from the crowd and you know, like 
watching it as a fan is, is so cool too, because they got the jumbotron, they got, you know, you know, those, those ones where the player like looks away after uh, on the jumbo screen and all of a sudden he turns around and his name is flashing after he's done a big play and stuff like that. They got that, that exists at Laval. You know, those are things that, that are real, you know, like you, and at Bishops, we have a scoreboard and now they have a screen, but they still aren't using it properly yet. Uh, but back then we had this old decrepit scoreboard. The one thing that we had nice was we played the best music because <laughs> most of our, most of our guys were from the Toronto, the GTA area we <laughs> heavily in Toronto. So our playlist was heavy on the, on the hip hop, the rap and the dance hall. And, and we had that going for us. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear oh, sweet man. Caroline in the third quarter. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm smiling ear to ear just hearing all these stories, but I'm also like holding back tears because it just, you know, shut up. No, Zach, Zach I, I, shut I up. You had, this... you had 13 jerseys when you played for Guelph. You don't get to say shit. But I'm talking about just I wanted the, a bigger you know, scoreboard. The whole scene of... That's what you sound like. <laughs> I just Guelph, I don't care Guelph, if it's Guelph. Guelph has, I want Guelph this. The best... I just want this. Guelph has the best shit in the OUA. Yeah. I've heard I've heard some great things about Guelph, and it just keeps going. Lang is pumping the funds in there, and you know, kudos to them, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we were talking with one of the coaches from Guelph, and you, you know, we were mentioning how with Lang, he's tried to do more just for the OUA in general, and they've even kind of like, like, ah, you know what, like maybe not. So, I mean, it, it's it, it's infuriating when you have someone who wants to be a benefactor, and the league's not even letting yeah. them do that. But that's a whole. Whole other thing, but uh, you know, Dakota. I think we got to grab a Rosetta Stone, pack our bags, and uh, you know, I, I think we. I don't yeah. know. The the queue's calling. Like, it sounds. Yeah, I could I could make uh, excuses for any stadium there. Like Quebec is Quebec is the the pageantry's there. They've they've looked at the American model, and they they've decided to replicate it, but in a French way. You know, like they even even our crosstown rival Sherbrooke for the longest time. Even their stadium, which is a dedicated track and field loop. Um, they still had the jumbotron. They still had the big grandstands and they still did the pageantry that way too. The guys would come out from the middle of the stadium and, you know, like they had the drum line coming in and, you know, they would run them out like that. And it's intimidating, you know, if you're not used to that stuff, it's not just, you know, walking out of a, of a dressing room and it's like, and here are the, you know, not only you Gigi, sorry, Gigi's, I love you. But you know, like it's, it, it, it there's more to it, you know, yeah. there's more. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully we'll get everyone up to that level eventually and it'll just be a complete scene and then hopefully we'll still be there again to to cover everything going on because that's that's my dream. That's why I want to be doing with, with this project that we have going here. Yeah. So, you there's know, a lot fingers of positives. crossed. There's, there's so many positives to the Canadian game in youth sports and I want kids and student athletes to, you know, yeah, dream of the NCAA and whatnot, and, but also realize that, you know, that the Canadian the, the Canadian model is if you're good, you're good, man. Like talent is talent and you'll get noticed. Um, and there's so much that the, uh, the OUA, the RICQ, the AUS and Ken West have to offer in terms of that student athlete balanced life. I, 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 I sound biased cause we, and we sound biased cause we went through it. But the reality is, is I think we all had pretty positive experiences regardless of if we played a ton or not. And uh, we, we want to give back to that system and I, I'm the same. I want to see, I want to see youth sports, and I want to see youth sports football become the something in the forefront of Canadians' minds. Whereas right now, it's unfortunately an afterthought. And let's be real about it. Um, I mean, if we got, we got to, you know, get those TV deals going and find creative ways to get youth sports uh, into the forefront of Canadians, not only in their minds but in their homes. You know, and it's. I'm passionate about it. I'm willing to sit down with whoever wants to do that and, and talk about it above and beyond high school football and coaching and teaching, you know? Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I think there's something there. We just have to, you know, push for it. A hundred percent. And and I guess the last thing, the last thing I'll just ask that on that note, we asked a couple of the guys that we met during our off season walkthrough tour, a version of this question as well. If you could be, this uh, whatever the the highest the CEO of of U Sport uh, of U Sports is, and you can make one change just to be able to get the ball rolling in that direction. And it doesn't have to be, you know, the the most like outlandish thing. Like let's just pump like millions of dollars into it, even if it's something small. What do you think would be a good starting point to get the ball rolling in that direction? 
I'm going to go big, to be honest. Uh, forget the small ball. Um, <laughs> I think TSN and Sportsnet, man, I'm going to call them out straight up. I think they need to do a better job of covering Canadian sports. Um, right now, on if you go on YouTube and you search up classic sports clips from like the 70s and 80s, um, they used to have like the U Sports Roundup or the CIAU Roundup, and they, you know, put those clips on. Um, and those exist somewhere in YouTube, uh, in the YouTube verse. Um, and they gave up on that. And I'll be honest, I'm TSN. I'm tired of seeing hockey. I'm tired of it. We're, we're better at other sports. Now we are as a nation. We're, we're better at basketball and football. Yeah. We're great at hockey. I think we're still number one, but there are other sports that we're good at now. And I think that there's way too much talent not being recognized by some of these major TV deals and TV broadcasters. Um, I would love to see on a Saturday morning, just like the old days, you know, uh, the score, the score at OUA. I used to watch that in high school. I remember uh, I was working at a, uh, at a, at a pub uh, and uh, you know, I, I was just a bus boy doing whatever, but I, I I'd always, you know, tell the guys uh put the tvs on because i want to watch the oua game at noon you know like as i as my my shift is finishing and stuff and i i remember seeing guelph justin dunk and those guys playing against whoever the heck they were playing and uh you know uh michael folds you know at western and you know him tearing tearing up uh ben oh, yeah. sorry, ben. sorry ben i remember that game um but uh you know classic matchups like that and i thought that it was good football i didn't I didn't think it was bad football. And I still think we have a great product right now, but for some reason Sportsnet and, and TSN don't want to pick that up for us because they'd rather be showing NCAA and, and uh, NCAA. And if you go anywhere else in the world, we are as a nation, the least nationalistic about promoting our own sports. You go to Australia, you go to Poland, you go to England. I, my mom lives in London, England. You go over there, they're not showing NCAA highlights. They're showing any level of soccer or university sport on their channels. They're not showing other people's sports. They show what's in their nation at the time. And I think it's kind of silly that we as Canadians want to be America so bad. You know, we want to be the NCAA. And it's like, yeah, the NCAA is great. Don't get me wrong. It's a big cash cow and it makes a ton of money. But we have something here in Canada and you got to start supporting that. And it's, it's, I don't know where, I don't know where coaches come in. I don't know where athletic directors come in. Cause I'm not that guy. I'm not there yet. But I think that from a basis, I do think that TSN and Sportsnet need to put some highlight packages minimum on their reel of U sports. If it's two or three games from football or two or three games from basketball, I don't care. I just want to see it in the morning when I'm walking or uh, when I'm about to go to work. That's just me. Amen. And hundred percent, you are not alone there. Uh, and more than just me and Dakota, we've talked to plenty of people. We know that that is something that, that people, and maybe it's not a large amount of people, but they are out there wanting to bring that back. Uh, and so that's definitely a conversation we could, I'm sure get into for another a couple hours or maybe we'll have to do that at another time. But uh, Jeff, th this has been amazing. Just getting your story, uh, going through your experience playing football and then what you've been doing uh, since leaving the sport, but of course still staying involved with your coaching. Uh, so Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and we'll be in touch, all right? Appreciate you guys and uh, appreciate everything you guys are doing for Canadian ball. Keep up the great work.